Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is the World Cup on Caught Offside. Ronaldo! Oh, it's come on, come Ronaldo! Brazil in front! It's Ronaldo! And Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Aimed it for Kurtzsa! And Germany are the champions of the world. It's Mbappé! Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and JJ. Oh, yes! Caught offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Is that the last time we're going to hear the intro music, our special World Cup intro music? Sure is. Oh, that makes me so sad. I had a moment there, yes. one out for Mike Brownshire, who put that together for us at the start of the tournament. What a great guy Mike is. And, And actually, I sent him something yesterday. The BBC... Did their um, BBC have basically created this reputation for end of World Cup montages? And I will post uh, my favorites on Twitter at CO Soccer Pod for everybody. But I posted yesterday's one. Um, they did Frankie Goes to Hollywood. That was the music, The Power of Love, which is an incredibly moving song. Um, and they, they just spliced together. It, it, I was. <laughs> I, I was tearful. It was, wow. it was. I'm, I have the post-tournament blues, so I'm hoping this podcast will help a little bit with that. Um, but, but yeah, the BBC put together this emotional montage. They never fail. They don't ever get this wrong. Remember when we had Guy Mowbray on, their lead of commentator, course. and um, they did, they did a montage. England's like finally put to bed at Russia their penalty kick problem, their penalty kick psychodrama when they mm-hmm. beat Colombia in the round of 16. And Guy, I mentioned it to Guy. Do you remember Guy, the montage they did with your voice on the commentary? And like, it was, who else was, it, oh, it was it, it was the National, England, playing over the background, the, the song by the National. And he goes, 
oh yeah, it was just just unbelievable. Can you imagine being a commentator? I would just listen back to all the montages of me. You are vain in that way. So this is sort of their kind of like CBS one shining moment. Yeah. So as the credits roll, they yeah. they push the credits to the side and then they they do their their special little montage with great music and they they always hit. And if you see my criticism of Fox's montages before big games and you compare it to that, like, like this is the BBC, man. Uh, I miss them. <laughs> I saw they did. I saw Gary Lineker tweet. They did huge numbers for the, uh, the final, uh, as you would expect. And I, I'm sure I haven't seen Foxes yet. Actually, I'm sure they're out there. Uh, but I, I would, what's that? I think they're enormous, really yeah. good numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait to numbers. see it. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe while you're talking at some point, I'll, I'll do a search through to see, uh, what their what their numbers were. This should be and a. I, uh, I, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've I've listened to Andreas Cantor on Telemundo, just falling to pieces, repeating that Argentina are the champions of the world. Obviously in yeah. Spanish, yeah. He's a campeón del mundo, and he's just he's hoarse, he's crying. It's uh, it's great. Spanish commentators' ability to just repeat a line and just deliver it wonderfully each time is is amazing. The, uh, the scenes of Argentina arriving in Buenos Aires, uh, it happened early this morning. I, think I haven't seen it yet. So they touched down. So we're recording this super early today. Normally we do it the night before, um, but we're up very early doing this one. So I, I've only just woken up and kind of scanned through Twitter. Some of the images, JJ, I mean, we'll talk about this over the course of this uh, this World Cup retrospective pod that we're doing right now. But like, I just see what these guys are returning to in Argentina. Um, I mean, it's like the official bus top parade hasn't happened yet. These they're images coming back from Argentina to the rest of the world that are, I think, like three thirty a.m. local time in Argentina when when this stuff was taken, and it's it's millions of people greeting them. At, like the bus can't move. Like I don't, I just don't know how they're supposed to go from this back to club life. Like they're not going to want to leave. This is uh, there's got to be some kind of transition period. I can't. For however much I love him and want him back, like I can't picture Christian Romero just like, okay, I'm back at Tottenham now. Like there's, they got to have like a two week period to decompress from this. This is just like the emotional experience of their lives. I, I don't know how they they can't just jump right back in. And meanwhile, Jack Grealish is in Lower Manhattan eating pizza yesterday. <laughs> well, he went like... on a Home Alone two tour of the city. Did you see that? No. He is just the most. Uh, What's the word? He's uh, he's um sweet there's something yeah. about him that's regular just... regular guy it's uh I, I i i'm mad and we have a contact and i'm going to try and work it as hard as i can well, whatever he, i have to do he's to get taking him on. pictures he's in new york city jack grealish and he's taking pictures around the city and he it's i don't have the tweet in front of me but the caption is something like for those of you who know how much i love home alone you can't believe this. And he's just, his tour of New, of Manhattan is just the different famous <laughs> places from Home Alone 2. It's like the Plaza Hotel. Uh, it's like all those different kinds of it's things. It's amazing because so many people would want to try and do some kind of a Goodfellas tour or maybe something Sopranos related. Certainly I would. Yeah. And he's just in doing, doing Home Alone. Yeah, uh, the poor to, guy is probably looking everywhere for Duncan's toy chest. Someone's got to tell him it's not real, Jack. It's not a real place. But it is quite it is quite uh, the contrast of him alone on a street corner. No one cares. No one cares who he is. He's eating a pizza 
And I'm just looking at the CNN pictures, and you're right. The bus has come to a grinding halt. They're the going to be there not- for a month. <laughs> the bus is going nowhere. Tim Vickery. Ah, oh, Tim is great. I was listening to him on another podcast, and Tim was 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 mentioning how in Argentina, because the country has so many problems, economic, social, uh, you know, governments that that have really done very little. Now, I'm sure lots of countries can say that, but we all remember the economic collapse, collapse in Argentina. They went to their ATM machines and nobody had any money. No money came out. And that the, the football team is this beacon of, it's something about Argentina that they can be proud of. And they, and they don't have that. Can you imagine what, what that... That feels now, it's their like vehicle for national pride, almost in its totality. I know they've got culture and food, but but this is their thing. This is their focus. It, Man, to be in Buenos Aires right now would be, it would be just be wild. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Like this, this puts them on the map in the, in a way that nothing else really can. It's not to say that Argentina is some like country that doesn't get thought about. Like that's, that's no. not true at all. It's, it's an incredible place. Um, but but it is to, the key focus for it. Their their national football team, their football in general with Boca and River, like this this is the major thing that matters, and um, and 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 now they've like look what Messi's done. Messi is there in this this rarefied air with Diego Maradona. He's right there, and probably because of the Tim was saying because of the demographics and the way it changes. He was on the second captain's podcast. The way it changes now is that people, the younger people, will focus on what Messi has done, where right. Messi is, uh, and 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 honestly, Andrew, you look at Maradona's peak, and it wasn't his fault. There were mitigating factors. It wasn't always his fault. I maybe I should say it that way. Mm. But his peak was so much shorter than than what what Argentinian fans have enjoyed with Messi, and um, oh, what a moment for the country! What like yeah. just incredible. Now, it should be said um, to kind of accompany that, uh, I was really pleased to see the outpouring of support from French fans as well with their team returning back to Paris and the incredible horde of people that uh, welcomed them back, um, the adulation that they received. I mean, what, they, what they've what they just achieved, you know, look, they wind up on the wrong side of history. It was the greatest final we've ever seen, and they lost it. That's that's a tough place to be because you have to live with that the rest of your lives. It's a game that that they'll see replayed forever. Um, but it can't be lost on people that they defended their title with um, incredible pride. They took it almost to the end. Their countrymen, their their fans thought that they had lost multiple times within that game. And despite the injuries that they had been through, the virus that had swept through the French team, they fought back on two different occasions in that game to send it to penalties. Um, and so, I mean, that's, look, this is a cliche thing to say, but like, that's a game that you have to, you have to try to find it within yourself to be proud of, of that performance and, and the way that team fought and battled. And so, um, you know, the, the players may feel that way, or it may be hard for them to do it, but for the fans to show up the way they did and support them the way that they did, I think that will help. Um, and you could see a lot of the players, Giroud, Griezmann, smiling, waving to the crowd. I mean, it, you know, obviously it was muted from what it would have been had they won, of course. But it was still, I thought, it was still nice to see. I think it was that was that was really well done by French fans to turn out like that, uh, despite the fact that their disappointment was probably overwhelming from that game. But they they know that their their team is an incredible one, uh, and so that was that was pretty cool of them. Yeah, and I I think there's a you know 
when you look what this French team have done under Deschamps and, and how just they they always seem to be at the business end of tournaments, um, there's a lot to be a lot to be proud about this team. And Julian Oran tweeted out the uh, almost the, the the age of the rosters for the next for the next tournaments coming yep, forward. It's scary. They're they're very they're very very strong. But this one will stick with them. There's no question about that. I'll say this right now. I mean, we're not quite ready to look ahead to the 2026 World Cup. Um, but I'll, I'll say it right now, JJ, I make my pick is France for twenty six. Well, is a, a lot can change. Champ- bet- a lot can change between now and then, but that's I'm going on record now with that pick. There's a European Championships to consider as well. I love the way like everyone is just fast forwarding to twenty twenty six, but but there's a chance for there's a chance for this French team to cement itself as as one of of, of maybe the best side of the of the last era they will have been in a European Championship final, a World Cup Championship win, another World Cup final, a classic, and then if they could top it off with another trophy, you'd be talking about uh, as close as we can get to international dynasties. Um, and and uh, so like I my, I can't wait for twenty twenty four to be honest with you. But. Yeah, I mean in terms of the way that they're viewed now, um, I would say look they've always been teetering on this but i think that they have um they have upped themselves a level into that top tier of footballing nations like i think that if you're going to talk about you know germany brazil italy i think france have have joined them in terms of those the countries that you just go into every tournament thinking okay well they're they're obviously a favorite like i think that's just i, they're, I think they're in they've that been place the, now honestly i think they've been there probably since 98 like like maybe pr- pretty consistently um, I mean, there was that that great period in the '90s where, like the early '90s, you know, failure to qualify for USA '94 was big. They weren't at the World Cup in 1990. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, this yeah. I, honestly, since '98, consistently they've been able to produce a quality of player that makes me very, very scared and concerned that we will meet them in the spring in European Championship qualifying. <laughs> It's going to be great. It's going to be fine. An angry France, that's what you want. Angry, <laughs> hurt, disappointed France coming to Dublin. Great. Uh, so we're going to kind of roll through some of our thoughts from uh, this month that just wrapped up with this unbelievable final on Sunday. Um, so we'll go through this. This should be fun, JJ. I've, I've been both dreading this and looking forward to this. Looking forward to it because it's just always fun to look back on these kind of events once they the dust is kind of settled from them but dreading it simply because what i've been saying for months now that i i'm gonna hate when this is over i've spent so so much time and emotion looking forward to this thing and now it's like when you're a kid and it's time to leave disney world it's like well no i i don't i don't want to live in a world where i'm not here uh and that's that's what we're that's what we're staring down right now it's so weird to have that it's so weird for me personally uh, to have that around the holidays, around Christmas. It's just, it's, I, I should be really getting ready for, you know, like the Boxing Day, Stevens Day games, you know, really hyped and amped for that. Instead, I'm in this, this weird uh, mourning position for, for the World Cup tournament that's just happened. Utterly bizarre. Utterly bizarre. Very strange. It's very strange. All right, so let's roll through some of this, JJ. I'm going to start, let's start with the, with the super positive um, I've got some questions here, and the first one is is simple but really broad. I just am curious to hear about your favorite things from this tournament. It can be anything. My, my favorite thing is it, and it's it's so basic, but just the the games and how absolutely enthralling they were from the get go. Like think about that group stage, how fun it was, 
how interesting it was. You know, we, we constantly talk in terms of the Champions League. You know, the group stage is just there to serve a certain purpose to get us to the to the to the real to the real. Oh, beef I disagree with that. I don't feel that way. No, I mean that, that's a, that. The, I'm not saying you feel feel that oh. way because because I've forgotten, Andrew, that the, that the entire soccer world does not revolve around you, sir. But a lot of people feel that. Well, way. you said we. Okay, I was I was doing the royal we. Okay, all right, I'm right. I feel that way, or I sense that that is a feeling that is out there. That's fair. But but um, but I found all the games just like enthralling from the start, you know. And and then, okay, maybe maybe you're talking about say the 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 round of sixteen. Maybe that was a little bit a little bit flat, and certainly in terms of the US's involvement. But but I've just been completely engaged from the beginning, and even. Even games that uh, you would put down on paper, like, say, for example, Serbia and Cameroon. Before the tournament, I'm not putting a big circle around that game and saying, I have to watch that. But I did, and it was brilliant. 3-3, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. The quarterfinals. I, have I ever been engaged with a group of games as much in my life? Have I ever... In, like Brazil and Croatia, just, just such drama. Yeah. The Netherlands and Argentina, like brilliant, brilliant games, and uh, and and like I said, going back to the group stage, like look at Japan, look at what Japan did in the group stage, look at those games, um, like, like thoroughly, thoroughly uh, enjoyable. The games were always going to be the thing for people like me who really were totally against the idea of this World Cup and still still don't like the idea that it that it happened where it did. Um, the games were always going to need to sway us and pull us back into football, and they did. Yeah. Um, I put down a couple things here. Uh, one, I put down, JJ, one of my favorite things from this tournament. This tournament had goals in record numbers, uh, 172 of them, the most goals scored in a World Cup ever. So if you were turning on your TV, there was – I know there were a lot of games early on in the group stage where it was – you know they, they were making a whole thing of like all the, the halftime nil-nils um, or one-nils – well, right. it, we were heading for. We had a. There was a point where I think it was a few games in where I tweeted, "The games aren't. They're not great, are they?" And there was definitely that that little period, but I mean, it didn't last long. Yeah, and in the end, it exploded to life. Like I said, a record number of goals scored in this tournament, 172 of them. Uh, so I certainly enjoyed that. In terms of my favorite, some of my other favorite things, I think my favorite press conference, um, LVG embarrassing Memphis. Like a like like a weird dad embarrassing his kid in front of his friends. It was after and now we kiss the, on the mouth. Right. It was after Angel Di Maria had complained that uh, Van Hall was the worst coach of his career when they were at Man United together. He blamed Van Hall for his struggles, and so he was asked about that before the the Dutch played Di Maria and Argentina in the quarterfinals. And LVG, uh, he said he's sitting next to Memphis on the podium, and he said. Um, because Memphis was on that United team. He said, here next to me sits Memphis Depay. He was also at Manchester United, and now we kiss on the mouth. And Memphis <laughs> kind of just, like, hides his head in his hands, uh, holds up a finger saying, no, no, no. It's <laughs> very funny. Very, very I, classic LVG. Actually, LVG was, was uh, apart from the rancor at the end of the Argentina game, which I'm not sure he was, I think that was just Argentina in full Argentina mode, LVG was it was great having him at the tournament. Yeah, it was. He was. And, and when he came back to the hotel, like somebody's uh, somebody's drunk uncle doing his own selfie, like he was actually like my mom at a wedding, 
you know, holding the camera out in front of himself to, to, to be greeted. Yeah. yeah. If we made our all-character 11, our all-character team from this tournament, like Emmy Martinez in goal, LVG coaching the team, <laughs> I'll have yeah. to try to fill out the rest of it. Those, those two are the, the captain and the coach, though. There's no question about that. And then um, I just wanted to note a couple U.S. things for me. Uh, obviously, Pulisic's goal versus Iran. Tim Ream, for me, one of my favorite things of this tournament, making the most of an opportunity that he probably never thought he'd receive. Um, Anthony Robinson in tears in the locker room after qualifying for the knockout stage. I've probably watched that video a hundred times. Um, uh, Tyler Adams' response to Iranian state media at that press conference. I mean, what that, you know, the way he handled that. Um, and uh, Pulisic, a guy who we don't always see, like, the joyful side. He's usually a pretty stoic figure. Seeing the way he welcomed the team back to the team hotel after they qualified for the knockout stage, it was just so raw. Uh, the emotion from him was so real, uh, loved it, just loved it. So a uh, bunch of those things, um, stuff that some of my favorite stuff from this tournament, JJ. So now get into some of, uh, I'm really interesting. I'm really interested to hear some of what you're going to say for this. I'm curious, a world cup obviously shines a light on teams, players, managers, fan bases, everything that there's really, that, that nothing like nothing else in sports, even an Olympics, a Champions League, a Super Bowl, the, the the World Cup is a different beast, and it has the power to kind of make and break different figures in this sport. Mm. Whether it's fair or not, whether it's real or not, time winds up bearing that out. But in the moment, reputations kind of rise and fall with how perform with with what performances are at this event. And so I kind of want to run through some of that, and and we'll start with the I guess the good side of that. I'm curious. Um, Whose reputations you think leveled up over the course of this last month? Whose reputations went up? I mean, it, for me, it was Morocco mm-hmm. and Japan. When you look at like as as teams, when you look at Japan's run now, I mean, they could have they could have really gone further. When you see Croatia, um, when you when you watch that game, they ran out of gas. It was unfortunate that it went to penalties. They just didn't have enough in the tank. And their penalties were so poor, but like Japan absolutely took over the tournament. Their their group stage wasn't a case of just scratching over the line. It was a case of beating the best two teams in that group in Spain and Germany, crazily losing to Costa Rica, but still nonetheless. Um, and Morocco, you come into that tournament and you think of our previews. If I said to you, Andrew, give me like, five minutes on the Moroccan national team you'd be like geez you know I just haven't thought about them and the minute you do a little bit of research you'd actually go hang on a second these guys play at a decent level there's some guys in this side but the way we like talk about you know Amrabat Saiz Hakimi you know and and they just were so much more familiar with the team because of this deep run they've had and I honestly I believe those players they just they just went up in my estimation. Those are the, reputationally, those are the teams that took a real step forward for me. Now, I, I can't, I can't really think of anybody else. You know, I don't think well, because I have, I do have some others, but I don't mean to cut you off. But I do want to kind of hone in on Morocco for a sec because I, th- I do think that they are like. There's a lot of answers, correct answers to this, but I do feel like they are the grand answer here to this tournament. Mm. No, like everyone is leaving this tournament, I think, with a different opinion of Morocco than than what they entered with. Um, 
JJ, in 2015, I know we kind of look at FIFA rankings and, and we roll an eye or whatever, but it's at least a gauge. It's a bit of a gauge of where a team is at. In 2015, not that long ago, Morocco were ranked 92nd in the world. When the next when these next FIFA World Rankings are released, they're going to be 11th. I mean, they have entered they have entered the world elite with their performance at this tournament. Them and Australia will be the two nations whose FIFA rankings went up by the most from before this tournament to after. They both went up 11 places. Um, no offense to Australia, their run was was fun. What a joy yes. it was to see the scenes and the celebrations. I don't know that it feels like a, a necessarily like a seed change in terms of Australian football. Um, you know, this will be a great thing. A generation of kids will, will have this experience and we'll see where that takes soccer in that country with Morocco though. This, this actually felt different to me. This, this felt like the beginning of something where like, they're not going anywhere. And you know, I mean, look, we talked about it the other, a couple weeks ago or whenever it was that I think this could be a springboard to them trying to finally land a world cup. Um, you know, this, this light that just shined on, on them as a footballing nation and the investment they've put into that. Uh, they failed five times before trying to get a World Cup. Who knows what, how they could utilize this tournament experience to try and go and get one. So I, I think that this is actually, this felt different to me, this Moroccan performance. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I did have some others here. I don't know if you wanted to kind of roll through some more of yours. We'll no, probably no, have no, overlap. I, like they stood out to me because I thought, well, who's taking a bump? And I, you know... Those were the, just the two that were front and center for me. And unfortunately, because of the way I'm wired, the the guys who have taken a reputational hit, there's more of them to talk about. <laughs> well, then I'll I'll be the I'll be the glass half full guy here, because um, I I do have a bunch of guys whose reputations leveled up for me. Um, I mean, this might sound like a weird one, but there's always going into any tournament when in a World Cup. Whenever you read all of like the pre-tournament. Um, all the preview material that's out there before a tournament begins, there's always the section on young players to keep an eye on. Uh, and for this tournament, it felt like it was, you, you kept reading Cody Gakpo and Jude Bellingham. And I got to say, like, it's one thing for that to be in all your tournament previews, but for them to go out there and like both of them really fulfill it. And like, really, like with all the eyes on them and everybody waiting to see, okay, is that when, is this going to be the moment that these two guys really become global stars? They did it. It was really amazing to watch these two young players. Bellingham, maybe a little more. I mean, Gakpo kind of carried the Dutch through the group stage. Bellingham probably leaves this tournament. If we were naming England's player of the tournament, it's probably him, I would think. That's an amazing achievement for two guys who are really, really young, who are still kind of in the infancy of their careers. So, I mean, if you're English or Dutch, you got to be looking at those two guys and thinking, Phew. I mean, we thought the future was bright before. What are we thinking now? So and, definitely them. Yeah, and you know what? In, in, in this spirit of, of, of reputations, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few more. Who would have thought that uh, Randall Colomwane would be yeah. talked about in the way he has or would have had that latter stage of the tournament that he did? Um He's one for me. Alexis McAllister, like, like I've talked already about him on the podcast, but, you know, it's not that long ago where Brighton were like, don't know what to do with him, send him back to Argentina for a little bit. <laughs> Enzo, Fernan Enzo Fernandez. Um, player of the tournament, yeah. Yeah. Um, Melina um, really, really struck me as well for, for Argentina. So, yeah. Um yeah, I, a couple Croatians, I think, whose names now resonate differently with me. Certainly, Gvardiol. <laughs> I mean, he he now, you know, people can play the clip of Messi going by him all they want. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's Messi at his peak. Um, 
that guy at such a young age, he comes out of this tournament as a defender that I think a lot of clubs around the world are now suddenly ready to spend a ton of money on. I think that that happened with him. And then the Croatian goalkeeper, Dominic Livakovic. I mean, he was, I feel bad. Emi Martinez rightfully comes out of this tournament with the Golden Gloves, but boy, Livakovic, his performance in penalties and just um, the rock that he was at the back for that Croatian team. I mean, what a what a keeper he is. I, I think that there's probably a, a big move in his future as well. Um, a few others, JJ. This is this one's weird. I mentioned this one a few weeks ago when we did our group stage kind of mid-tournament preview or kind of recap. Um, but I'll say it again because it continued, at least in the final. Kylian Mbappe, like we talked about. Like I know he's, I know that he was already on the top level. We, we I don't know think... That. But, I, but like I he, can't accept this one. But he... JJ, it's not a figment of my imagination. I've been talking to friends of mine um, over the past few days, certainly since the final, and we've all kind of been talking about how, like, if you if you try to think about what you were thinking of Mbappe before this tournament, we all know the greatness that he has, but there was so much negative around him. His performance at the last Euros was underwhelming. His drama as to whether or not, is he going to Real Madrid, PSG? Why is he staying at PSG? Now he's discontent. He's upset. He wants to leave after just being there for the first few months. He's He seems on the outs with Neymar. All this stuff is going public of him demanding Neymar be sold. Like It was just a lot of ugliness. And Mbappe, his play on the field in this tournament made you forget all of it. And we're going back into club play now where it's like, oh, well, he's the best player in the world. And like... Yeah, he was in the conversation beforehand, but like you said it, there was always a yeah, but that accompanied it. That yeah, but I think he eliminated. I think he's just like, he's that guy now. Um, that's that's big, I, I think, for me. Um, you mentioned some of them, but like there's a billion guys on Argentina who come out of this in a different light. McAllister is the big one. I just, because like those of us who are Premier League centric, which is most of you who listen to this podcast, of course, because that's a lot of the, the bread and butter of, of the show, like what like who is this what happened here like, well, it's so well funny. let's let, let's let's be balanced he's he's become you know he's become a regular at brighton since sure since he since he wasn't like he came into he scored some some pretty memorable strikes uh but yeah right okay he's playing at brighton I mean, it just goes to show you, though, the wealth of the Premier League when you can have World Cup winners just trotting around for Brighton and Hove Albion. <laughs> it's, that's a good point. And another guy, uh, Emmy Martinez. Like, we knew he was a good goalkeeper before. He just won keeper of the tournament at the World Cup. He just made maybe the biggest save in the history of the sport. He's Aston Villa's goalkeeper. Like He, he played. And I, have I got this completely wrong? But I, I was flicking through Twitter and I thought I saw someone tweet that Emmy Martinez played in that game in 2012 for Arsenal. The, like, the stupid game against Reading in the Carabao Cup. Oh, my God. Where he conceded like five. Yeah. And, and then goes on to be a World Cup. Not, not just a World Cup winner. like A hero. His, I, I said this, I called this way earlier in the tournament. I said, has there ever been, and no one's been able to, to tell me, a goalkeeper who has been an understudy for the, the bulk of the, I mean, most of his, the, the good part of his, of his 20s, for eight years, 15 performances for Arsenal, has some good performances at the end, earns a move to Aston Villa, and now is probably one of the most famous goalkeepers in the world, goalkeeper of the tournament. It's the weirdest it's never career. happened. It's an insane career arc. 
Like, Insane. You know, for yeah. club and country. We've seen I we've seen goalkeepers, understudy goalkeepers rise up, have years of, 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 of you know, good club years or whatever. Like I'm sure that's happened. Never to this extent. Never. It's crazy. Uh and then one other one for Argentina, who we haven't actually talked a ton about in this tournament, but I think we have to a little bit. JJ Julian Alvarez. Like bec- and, and I mention him because coming into this tournament, I don't know, did you think that he would He's he has started three games this season in the Premier League. He's a sub. Like he's good. He's a young player. Uh, you know, he's someone that like that's a signing with an eye towards the future for them, but like he's gonna go back to Man City and be like, Look what I just did there in that tournament. You know? Play me. I can't sit on this bench anymore. I don't care that Erling Holland is in front of me. Like you gotta play me. Um and so like he comes out of this tournament, I think, as one of the, the great young strikers in the world uh and i you know because of his somewhat limited role right now at manchester city i don't know we all thought that there was a bright future for him but i don't know that any of us knew he was ready to perform in in the way that he did uh at this tournament he was huge he's been brilliant he's he's in my team of the tournament oh wow okay oh he absolutely is he has to be he's been he's been outstanding yeah Yeah. reading five arsenal seven Was that unbelievable um, comeback? So it was, uh, it was four one at half time, and then Reading had this comeback, and then and then Arsenal won in in the end. And M- uh, Emmy Martinez was in goal. Laurent Koscielny, Theo Walcott, Juru, um, Coquelin, Arshavin. That was ten years ago. God, yes, that does sir. not feel like it was ten years ago. It was. Jeez. It really, really was. Passage of time. Yeah, we're getting older. Cats yes. in the cradle and the suit. Uh, and then um, two Americans for me that I wanted to give special shout-outs to that, that leveled up in my mind. Tyler Adams. Knew he was good, uh, but now you start to see like the transfer buzz swirling. Um, you know, Big names starting to, to recognize what this guy does in that, in that defensive midfield spot. Um, I think not just in – I think American fans knew – but I guess maybe I'm thinking of more of a global perspective. I think a lot of fans around the world are th- are now watching him and thinking, oh, that, that guy is actually different than what we thought. And then this one probably is geared a little bit more towards American fans. Maybe not this podcast, but um, Matt Turner, I think, entered this tournament of like, okay, we think he's our number one. Now we exit it and it's like we can end that whole, you know, us worried, oh, America, we usually have top-notch keepers. Like, you know, this is a weird time for us. We're not used to this uncertainty at that position. No, 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 no. There's certainty. He's great. And that's it. Uh, so I, he he did that in my mind over the course of this tournament. Maybe I'm overstating it a little bit, but that's where I'm at with, with good old Matt. Now, JJ, the other side of the coin, the Devaney side of the coin. Uh, whoa, repu- whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. The the real life side of the coin, the coin that you never want to engage with, but yeah, right, the side of hate and and anger and it's not hate, Jesus, yeah. the, the side of uh, darkness. Yes, um, whose reputations have taken a hit in this one, JJ? Um, I mean, let me just do the managers. I think that's <laughs> like the, you're roll, he's roll. You you all can't see it right now. He's rolling out a list like what a child presents to Santa Claus. It's it's scroll it's a scroll really like a Torah. I think, I, uh, you know, 
he had a lot to deal with. We've, we've heard about the internal fighting in the camp, but you are a manager and you're supposed to manage. Roberto Martinez, where does he go now? What happens for him? Very strange situation that he's in after the tournament. I don't care how old or much or, or decrepit Belgium were. That was not the tournament uh, that they wanted to round out this um, golden generation or whatever, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, Hansi Flick. You know, maybe it was just people doing football by numbers. He came in, he did a great job at Bayern Munich. Now he's going to go on to Germany and he's going to... Like, Germany were bad. Like, they were... I know people will tell us about all the XG created, etc., etc. That that just did not seem like a like a team um, coached by a guy who who just coached Bayern Munich to a, a Champions League or a recent Champions League. It, they weren't good and they have this this kind of search for a centre forward now that's going to start and people will be talking about Das Reboot too and some of those players are just going to have to be moved on and how is that going to work? Um, so that's that's a reputational... That tournament definitely was a reputational blow. Now I know there was the controversial goal for Japan against Spain ultimately did put uh, Germany out but Germany put themselves out by losing in, to, to Japan. Also know, open, too, we, we, can, we can call it controversial but I think it was the right call. I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, the technology says so. The boffins say so. Um, but yeah, Hansi Flick for me, and 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 Luis Enrique. How do what do we do with Spain here? You know, they they seemed from the European Championships, from the Euros, to be really moving toward a kind of a a, a Spain with a cutting edge, and then they produce another thousand pass disaster class and and you're like okay is is this manager so dogmatic in his approach that he can't get this team to be more more incisive and now you want and 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 what next for him so so those are the ones that that sprung off the page for me so so you raised some interesting questions there because if someone's reputation takes a hit you're right it, it raises questions about their future so let's say Flick and Enrique become available tomorrow to manage. Do you not still think that they are at the top of, of a lot of, I don't know, I can't, I can't think of a team specifically right now, but like, would they not be at the top of most teams' managerial lists if they suddenly became available? I still think that they probably would. Maybe, but and I know international football is different from club football. You have longer to work with the players. I know all that stuff, but you know, there's still that little taste coming out of the tournament where you're like, ah, that was, I wasn't great. I wasn't very good. Same as Maurizio Pochettino at PSG. Like Poch has this massive record, but there's still people who have an opinion slightly lowered by what he couldn't do at PSG. That's how it works. Um, For me, I kind of looked at it a little bit more broadly um, in terms of reputations, it took a hit. Uh, but sort of what you were saying, JJ, this was a bad month for, I guess, what you'd probably have to call the three most traditional powers of the game. Um, they may have 13 World Cups among them, but right now Brazil, Germany, and Italy are in a bad moment. Italy weren't here, which is emb- <laughs> the true embarrassment. Brazil, as favorites, again, couldn't get past the quarterfinals again. I think we're kind of getting to this point with Brazil now where, like, if you continue, like me, if you continue to pick them at the start of every World Cup to go on and win the thing, now it's on you. 
Like they have to. They. I'm kind of now getting to like the the show me stage of Brazil. Okay, like I know you're great, but like I can't pick you anymore until I see you do this thing again. Uh, and then Germany, second straight World Cup, can't get out of the group. Like what is that? I. I mean, I'll ask you. Has there been like there's always a fear factor around playing Germany, Italy, Brazil. You know, there's other teams in there too, of course. Like we talked about France, Argentina, certainly. But like those three are kind of like the Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas uh, of the sport. Um, has the fear factor lessened? Are teams just not afraid of them the way that they once were? I I think since probably the round of sixteen, England, the the two nil for England in the Euros, there's been a bit of ooh, about Germany. There definitely has been a little bit of maybe they're not that good or certainly that the collective when it comes together does not reach the sum of, of the parts on paper. It definitely feels that way. They're, you know, a little bit stodgy. Uh, there was also that Nations League shellacking that they got. Now, I know that was under the previous regime uh, from Spain where they, they conceded six goals. So, yeah, no, it's not a... They're they're not in a good place right now, and yeah. I would and I and I agree with you. They're they're not feared. It, the, so like any any fear of them is is reputational is yeah. is like historical. I'm trying to think about it. If like if the, so, let's say the World Cup were still going on, and somehow the U.S. were matched up against Brazil. I gotta say, I'd still be pretty afraid. <laughs> I can't help it. Maybe that is reputational. But that but that's um, where we are though. You know, yeah. there are teams that will look at that, uh, you know, that aren't of that level that will go a fancy chance. We're, we're, I mean, we're not at that level. Can I throw one other name in there that might be weird? Um, I just want to mention Mexico here. Like, their struggles regionally, obviously we've seen it. It's been alarming. But, like, let's not forget we have seen that before. Like, remember in 2014, they nearly didn't qualify. They had to survive the fourth-place playoff against New Zealand. But ultimately, like... The World Cup is where CONCACAF teams really make their money. And, like, Mexico showed up. At that, that For however bad the time was leading up, um, you know, they, they put all of that to bed in 2014. They beat Cameroon. They drew with Brazil. They beat Croatia. They, ne- they, they nearly beat the Dutch in the round of 16. A lot of people think they should have beaten them, if not for that controversial Aryan Robin penalty. And so it was kind of like, okay, so everything we just saw with Mexico over the last few years, I don't know how much it really mattered. When push came, when push came to shove, they were still the Mexico that we all kind of thought they were. But, like, now... When you kind of put it all together, like this time around, couldn't beat Poland, got beat by Argentina, which in hindsight isn't isn't so bad. But then when they needed to win by multiple goals, only beat Saudi Arabia by one, which cost them. And so now when you kind of put it all together, like all the performances, the bad performances from Mexico in Gold Cups, Nations League, World Cup qualifying performances on the road, uh, and then you combine it with this tournament, it's like we, we kind of leave this now and go back into CONCACAF play. And I think, like, whatever fears there were among Mexican fans, they were all just validated. And it, I think it really hammered home the project that, that lies before them. Uh, so I, I threw in there that as well. Now, before we get out of this, JJ, I want to play a quick game with you with some names for me that were right on the fence. And I'm curious. So I'm just going to say I'm just going to say these things. We don't have to go in depth on them. You just tell me profile up. Profile down, profile the same. No change. Ready? We'll go okay. through it quickly. Here we go. First one, Didier Deschamps. Up, down, profile the same. Up. Profile up. up. Okay. Polisic. A profile the same. Okay. Uh, Bale. 
I mean, profile d- down. Mm. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Shipping containers. A profile. Uh, profile distraction. Profile. Full profile up. We've never got to be up, right? Yeah. They're using them as hotel rooms, as building stadiums, stadiums out of things, them. Things yeah. we never dreamed of that were possible for shipping containers. Got to be up. Uh, let's see. Southgate. Profile up, I think, generally speaking. Looks like he's going to stay on. So there we go. And I think England fans are not upset about that. That seems to be the feeling that I'm so, I mean, not, depends who you talk to. Okay. Uh, Chad Ochocinco. Profile down. Really? Even from what you thought before the tournament? So Because we were down on that beforehand. Now it happened. We saw how he was used and what he did. I'm wondering if you, if there was any changing. So you went even further down from where you were. It, okay. Interesting to have a guest on who you at least assumed knew something about soccer. But the minute he, he, he just realized he just likes FIFA, playing FIFA. Okay. Um, and wore, where, where did he wear the Bayern Munich club kit to a game? Something like that. Um, yeah, the U.S. game. When the U.S. played Wales, I think he wore a Bayern Munich kit to the game. Hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, his. Uh, I mean, I know we can pull anyone up on pronunciations and everything, but um, when he started off on the show, uh, Sadio Main, and <laughs> you, you kind of wondered. A uh, bit. Let's see, Olivier Giroud. A uh, profile, this profile up slash the th- the same. Like he was okay. very very good, uh, but then he got hooked after forty minutes in a World Cup final. That doesn't leave mm. you easily. Um, yeah, it's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. Yeah. I would say slightly up, but yeah. Last He's 37 one. Thirty seven. I know. I know. Uh, last one, JJ Winter World Cups. I know you hated it. It's happened now. Do you still hate it? Do you hate it even more? Did you soften uh, on it? I probably softened a little bit because it was amazing to have games at this time of year. But it, but I also think of how busy we were. I mean, we put stress on ourselves by basically moving from the biggest sports company in the world to independent right before a World Cup. So maybe yeah. that colors the stress factor for me. I wouldn't recommend that for uh, future. No, reforms. I wouldn't recommend it. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. The kind of countries that are going, to, are going to end up hosting Winter World Cups, I would say. You know what? I'll say profile up because okay. I, I did enjoy it. So there we go. Okay. Well, there you have it, everyone. Send your hate mail to at uh, JJ Devaney on Twitter. Um, let's see. Quickly, favorite match from the tournament that was not the final? It's a tough one. Uh, Croatia-Brazil, I enjoyed immensely. Um also, I would say I would say Serbia Switzerland. That that game was so good. It, it was really really enjoyable. You saw brilliant goals from both teams. It had that battle quality, and I I know the place where some of the tension comes from is a rather ugly and dark place. But two teams that don't really like each other going together is always a good always a good mix. Uh, I went. Uh, I went Argentina Netherlands quarterfinal. Game had everything. The but drama. Was it, it was a bad game up until the last oh. eighty minutes. It, it, it I mean, it, I suppose but it was. But it was unbelievable what happened. 
Like the way the yeah. game just flipped out of nowhere. It was like and just like the stress of it for Messi and just like yeah, you know the the I mean you talk about the the tension between the teams, the fight that occurred in the 89th, I mean, a true brawl in the 89th minute of a quarterfinal that's hanging on an edge. Then the Dutch score, you know, the, 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 then it goes to penalties, the stress of that, the drama afterwards of Messi, who we never yeah. see act like this, getting in the face of, of Van Hal, talking S to Veghorst in the tunnel afterward. Like that game was bonkers. Yeah, that Incredible. was good. Incredible that was very, stuff. very good. It was, it was, it was like going to dinner and everything's average, and then you get the most spectacular dessert. Just right. And as it's being served to you, three waiters start fighting at the <laughs> table next to you, <laughs> and another one starts shouting in Spanish at the other large Dutch waiter. Right. You would leave that restaurant being like, I mean, the that was a hell of an experience. I'll never forget this meal. Yeah, uh, I think I think France, England as well. I think yeah, that, that was a, certainly didn't lack for drama. That was a pretty good game too. Yeah, that's there were so shot. many. I mean, these yeah. are only uh, these are only little snapshots. Uh, your favorite goal from the tournament? I'll go to that game again. Uh, like, there's some goals that were just absolutely beautiful. Uh, you know, Di Maria's second goal, <clears throat> probably one of one of the best goals I've ever seen. Uh, but I will go. Um, Freuler's goal for Switzerland, the winning goal against Serbia. Jordan Chachiri playing the ball in. The run that's made across, uh, I think it was by Vargas, sucking the the Serbian defenders and then a back heel into the path of the onrushing Freuler who finished with a with a really great finish uh, on the bounce. So that for me, Freuler versus Abubakar as well for Cameroon, the scooped goal. That was a cool one. Oh, I love that. And it's not yeah. a chip, guys. It's a scoop. Don't make me go into this again. Can you please? <laughs> um, let's see. In the end, I said it when it happened. It was really early on. I said, you can end this now. And it wound up holding up for me. Richarlison's against Serbia. Um, the kind of flick to himself and then smashed it home on the volley. I just, I don't know. That was, that did it for me. There were definitely good candidates. Like we said, this World Cup had the most goals ever, and a lot of them were incredible. I'll give an honorable mention. I thought, uh, especially with what in the moment, how important it felt like it might have been um, Luis Chavez's free kick for Mexico. Uh, that was Saudi amazing. Arabia was spectacular. Uh, whew, that was, I mean, probably, I, I know Rashford had a great free kick also, but for me, the Chavez one was probably the free kick of the tournament. Um, so... Yeah, that there were there were definitely good candidates, but in the end, Richarlison might have had two of the top three for me, uh, and then Neymar might have added. I mean, Brazil might have occupied three of the top five, um, and yet it is still a quarterfinal exit for them. Um, all right, we're getting near the end here, JJ. I'm just curious, the lasting legacies from this World Cup. I, very hard to, I mean, what, that's such a general question. Mm. Um, very hard to, only a few days out. Hard to to put together. I'll go first if you want to think. I have yeah, three things. No, I and I'll be I, quick. I, I, you know what? I'll piggyback on whatever you have to say because it's it's, it's too soon for me. Lasting legacies. Oof. Well, just so the thing when somebody in thirty years says to me, "What do you remember about the twenty twenty two World Cup?" Well, I mean the be, final. So yeah, for me the three things. The first one I'll start with. I don't know. It's it's very sad to say this, but I'll never be able to remove what happened with Grant Wall at this tournament. I'll just I'll always think about that and oh, how horrible I it was. I haven't stopped thinking about it, really. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll just, I don't know, I'll never be able to kind of untangle that from this tournament. I'll always kind of think about that, just the the shock of it, the tragedy of it, um, certainly. Um, I'll I'll always remember Morocco from this tournament. Um, that was probably, you know, if we're talking about feel-good stories at this tournament, that was certainly high on the list, um, watching them advance as far as they did and the enthusiasm from their fans that showed up for this tournament. Uh, and then, of course, I mean, the big one, really messy. Like, <laughs> that's what that, you know, when, when the, if, if there are still DVDs, I don't know if those exist, but like if they are still printed, it's, it's the cover. You know, any book written about this tournament, it's the cover. You know, Messi with, the, with that trophy, finally doing it. I think that's, I mean, globally, that's got to be the, the takeaway from this is that he, he finally did it. As his career was winding down and he's starting to think, ah, probably not going to happen for the guy but you know what it's still the best career we've seen like well no he he went and he actually did this too it's an unbelievable exclamation mark to his career which is not over i mean he may still win another champions league two more champions leagues who knows um but to to go and actually do this thing now and be the best player at the tournament not like peyton manning winning that second super bowl you know where he's sort of a passenger the defense carries him whatever no he was the best player here it's it's unbelievable, and it will be uh, for me. It'll be the the primary takeaway from this. Um, which brings us to the final question here, JJ. Which brings us all the way back around to the beginning, when this all started, when this tournament was awarded twelve years ago in tw- in two thousand ten, when Sepp Blatter uttered those words, "The winner is Qatar." I think we all know it with that kind of nervous smile on his face where you could tell even even he was thinking oh dear god what have we done yeah and so all those fears of what this tournament would be of what would go into this tournament it's happened now and so i think we kind of have to come all the way back around to it um the idea of qatar hosting this world cup the idea of sports washing um all of those things that were kind of thrust front and center. I mean, I guess I'll just ask the most basic question. If, if you know, Qatar wanted this World Cup, I'm sure, for any number of reasons. Um, but, you know, if, if we're going to kind of put it down to one term, if sports washing is the term, and if that's what they were kind of hoping to achieve here, I guess I would ask you, did they? Yeah, I think they did um, because they got – Probably the best, one of the best World Cups, the most memorable World Cups, not just the final, all the way through. Um, and they got the, the images that they wanted. They had Messi, their guy, both, who's both their guy in Paris and at this World Cup, um, being given a bisht and being presented the trophy by, you know, a monarchical ruler. I I think they got they got everything that they wanted, really. And that was beamed... That Qatar was beamed to the world, um, you know. Every every TV company carrying it, billions watching this tiny, small country that most people, apart from the super rich, don't know anything about. Um, they they absolutely got what they wanted. That's on the on the on the on the big level, and and on the micro level, it's interesting. And this is just a taste from our YouTube comments. And I'm not having a go at anyone. There's some points in here that I would agree with. But don't forget, like, the, dis- the distraction of the World Cup is the point. So Cameron writes, if we're saying it's the best World Cup final ever, 
then it's fair to bring the conversations as this be, may be one of the best World Cup tournaments ever. Thrilling last day of group stages, upsets galore, greatest final, most goals in a tournament. From a fan perspective, easiest World Cup to move around. Great free transportation, ticket, great tickets price, despite all the negative pieces written that seemingly disappeared after the first three days. This was not the failure people wanted it to be. Curious to see the change in format and vast geographic distance the next one brings after the reaction to this one. So some of those lines are like Qatari talking points. The stuff that they constantly hammered people back with when criticism was coming in before the tournament. You know, the negative pieces that seemingly disappear. Where did they disappear? You know, there was journalists writing about this all the way through. But for Cameron, they disappeared because all it was was the football. The football took over and it massed a multitude. Um... And then the next one, um, from Alex. This has been one of the most thrilling World Cups of modern sports history. Um, But that comes down to the fans and their passion, plus the players and their performances, not anything to do with the host nation. So straight away, Alex, host nation is, is out there. Forget about it. We should be able to separate Qatar from the World Cup and be able to acknowledge the litany of revolving problems around Qatar's hosting, while also acknowledging the teams, players and fans made this one of the greatest World Cups TV has ever given us. Closest thing to credit I'll be willing to give Qatar is the fact that so many had to have this in November, December, and so many of the players were in top form and still mostly fit. All the stuff, all the distraction, all the camouflage, right there in just two messages from two guys who are not on the payroll of Qatar. That is what they wanted to do. They wanted this positive message. FIFA are going to give them more tournaments. We already know they've got something planned for them. There's, a, there's another tournament. I'm not sure. Is it a youth tournament or what's happening? They're getting that. That's going there. Um, so I think the sport, in terms of like the macro, the big thing, Qatar, push to the world, memorable for this great, great World Cup. And, and for so many people, Andrew, Qatar, oh, remember the World Cup they had? What a brilliant tournament. Job done. Job done. Nobody's talking about their, uh, not nobody, but lots of people will not be talking about their human rights record, about the fact that this tournament was brought to you on the backs of some of the worst labor laws in the world. And um, and if I tuned in every week here, in Amer- every day in America to the World Cup, Andrew, I didn't hear it. Fox never once mentioned human rights issues. Didn't talk about it. They're definitely not the only broadcaster that took this tournament and and followed suit and didn't criticise the hosts. I know BBC did. I know ITV did. I know know others did. But I know a vast majority of, 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 not a vast majority, but a lot of others certainly did not do that. And, uh, And that'll have an effect on the viewers and the people that watched it. It's worked. It's absolutely yeah. worked. We always knew that that was going to be the conflict of this tournament coming in. We acknowledged it before they even started playing. Like we knew, you know, we knew the dark side of this tournament. We, but like we talked about the difficulty as a, of of being in that position as a fan. That like we always knew we were going to love the soccer. Like once they started playing, we always knew that that you know, regardless of where the games are being held, it could be being played on the moon, and we would find a way to enjoy it. So. You know, that was always going to be the mental conflict is do you feel dirty in some way? Because once you do that, once you settle in and, and associate this tournament with the great play that we saw, the goals, the final, then like, do, do you become part of the problem? 
I mean, I, I don't want to not love what I saw on Sunday because of this, the place in which it was held. But I mean, a, mi- a migrant worker died during the tournament and the response from one of the organizers was people die every day. Mm-hmm. That was the callous response. And because the cycle of football, that's another thing that they've tapped into. Football at a tournament, you know, there's events, events, events. It's very easy and it's, it's, it's understandable that people get swept along by the next thing. Like, does anyone remember that that guy stood there in front of the world's media and said, why have you focused on this? People die every day. People going to work, you can die. Can you? Not usually. Yeah, um, you're right. I, I mean, I I feel all the ways that, that you feel about this. Um, I, in terms of we will get emails, Andrew. We will get emails that we finish the podcast like this. We will get so many, you know, well, people. I'm okay with that. People can yeah. disagree. That's fine. Like, I'm not going to look. We, I don't expect everyone to agree with everything we say. That's fine. That's that. I get that. Um, and finishing the podcast, I don't know. It felt like kind of a full circle moment um, because of this is this was the story before. And now I'm curious just how people think when it's all said and done, if, if they still feel the way that they felt. I'm just kind of generally curious. I do think that uh, in terms of whether or not you know, this, this succeeded for Qatar. Uh, I do think that the media did all they could. Like, I know you said that you didn't hear it talked about very much, but for the most part, I mean, it was like, this was a storyline that existed in the build up to this tournament and even through, and, and then there's going to be a no, lot. I of didn't, I didn't say that, that I, I believe the story went on, but, but oh, I do okay. believe that there was a wave of events that meant it was hard to just circle sure. in on this thing. And by the way, that was true for me. Like once play started, like my focus was on the games. Most every podcast we did, it was on the games. So like, I get that. Maybe people think we're it was hypocritical of us. I don't know, but that's why I did want to talk about it now that it's over. Because I do believe that the media made this into something that that it was going to be hard to ignore. Um, and like I said, there's going to be a lot written on this now with people trying to decide. You know, okay, well, in the end, what? How was this? And Barney Roney has a really good article at The Guardian about it, um, where he says he says this about it. He says, Qatar is not an aberration. Qatar is the way the world works. Presented to you with brutal, unapologetic clarity. Other nations may have checks and balances, trades unions, democracy, free speech, ways of mitigating the brutality of rule by an overclass. Doha may also have willfully neglected its duty of care to migrant workers, explicitly targeting nations suffering most from climate change to build its World Cup, because desperate people are cheap people. This does not have to happen. But in the end, the real question about migrant workers is, why are migrant workers so poor that they are willing to do this? And who benefits from that? Qatar 2022 may be a bloodstained thing, but is also a light and a lens and a crib sheet on how the world works. I mean, it's pretty interesting, JJ. He's he's kind of saying Qatar isn't necessarily the problem, but it's the most shiny and new example of the problem. I mean, this no, is I'm, this is not the last time that that a major event will be held in a country that's going to make you think. Uh, this is just maybe. I mean, we had it. In, we've seen it before. Obviously, Argentina '78, Russia in 2018. Uh, but you know, a light was was certainly shined on this one, and it's going to happen at future events too. Look, there's going to be a huge swath of the world that that won't love the next one in the U.S. Uh, so, you know, that, that's is... true. That's true. But I think, you know, like it's not the Trump administration or the Biden administration who are running the World Cup in 2026. 
And I think that matters. That's a good point. This the, the last two World Cups were state-run entities and they were done with a pretty specific idea in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go and protest, I, well, I hope it would be the case, in four years' time, you'll, you'll be able to go and protest. If you don't like the United States or what's going on, you'll be able to go in, in, in whatever state the games are held in, you'll be able to protest without fear of censure or something worse. That was not the case at this World Cup. And I am Good not point. defending... There's a danger that this podcast could go on for another hour as we slip into U.S. foreign policy for the last 50 years or, or trade agreements or NAFTA or immigration. Not getting into that. But you will be able to protest in this country. And, and that was not the case at this World Cup. And by the way, if, if Joe Biden or, well, not Joe Biden, but whoever is president of this country, the last thing we'll want to see them on stage is trying to give what would be the the bisht for 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 the USA what the would cowboy what hat? would be cowboy hat or maybe uh top gun like cuz cuz USA is so much culture maybe top gun's leather jacket you know <laughs> and a pair of sunglasses yeah 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 here Jamal Musiala put this on as he puts on his his top gun <laughs> Yeah, and and Berlin well, that's a glimpse play. into the do way JJ uses yeah. yeah, as the Kenny Loggins music plays, or <laughs> as the World Cup trophy is hoisted, that's America, my friends. Fly uh, into the danger zone. <laughs> that's JJ's view of this country. Uh, there you go. That's about all I got. Oh, I don't want this to end. I don't want this to end. This tournament, for for whatever flaws there were, there certainly were, but. The soccer was was immense. Can I make a request? Yeah. I need some help. This this will close out the podcast. First, the first thing I want to say is can everybody go and leave a review on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review there. Go on Spotify, leave us a five-star review there as well. Um go watch our immediate reaction on YouTube to the World Cup final. I thought that was pretty great. Um we were frazzled. We had no idea what we just saw. And also on Twitter uh, at CO Soccer Pod or on Instagram, if you're one of those people, at Caught Offside Pod on Instagram. Can you help me finish my team of the tournament? So here's what I got so far, Andrew. I have Larice in goal. I have uh, Roman Seiss, Gvardiol at centre backs, Hakimi, Theo Hernandez at left back, although I know people will say mm-hmm. Hernandez had plenty of mistakes, etc., etc. I have Amrabat and McAllister in midfield. And then I'm playing a 4-2-3-1. And then I have Mbappe, Messi, and someone else in behind, playing in behind uh, Julian Alvarez. Help me with the one other player that I need to put into this deeply unbalanced side. Bellingham? No. Not there. All right. I wouldn't have had, I mean, <laughs> I love the guy, but uh, I wouldn't have had Lloris in goal. Emmy Martinez or Livakovic would have been in there. Ahead I know they're the me. obvious maybe even, choices, maybe even but Bono I, from Morocco. I actually, I actually think Larice was really good all the way through the tournament. Yeah. I really, I really do. No big problem in tournaments. He's not great with pens. So, yeah. although it's funny because I've seen him stop, have some huge ones for Tottenham: Aubameyang, uh, Aguero in, in the Champions League. It's interesting. I was oh, at a game. Be... I, I went to a Tottenham game when he stopped uh, one for Fulham. Back in 2014, I think it was. There'll be time for, for Tottenham and Fulham talk, Andrew. Well, there'll be in due time. time. 
Oh my God, seriously. Yeah. For all the people who have kind of recently latched onto this podcast, thank you. We love you. We're so happy you're here. Please stay. Just because the World Cup is ending, we are not. The football goes on forever, as we like to say. Uh, so we'll have another podcast. We don't want to make any promises. Because um, I'm traveling to Ireland. JJ's going back to Ireland for the holidays, so we'll we'll see if we're able to do anything uh, the rest of this week. I can't guarantee it. We've we've been burning it pretty hard over the course of the last month, uh, so can't guarantee we'll be back. But um, the rest of this week we might. So keep the feeds refreshed just in case. Keep your YouTube's uh, notifications on. But we'll be back. The Premier League starts up on Monday. What are you uh, talking so... about? The Carabao Cup is back. <laughs> That's true. No, you're That's right. Sweet, sweet action. Actually, I think the M- uh, MLS's schedule was also released today. We haven't had a chance to see it yet. I don't, it's it's still early in the morning, but uh, you know that's also out. So, like, yeah, if you're new to the podcast, that's awesome. Um, the World Cup maybe is your thing, but I guarantee you, there is more in this sport that you will continue to love. Don't go away. Don't go away. The There's football a lot here. is officially going on forever. And we want to be your tour guides through this sport. So please continue to stay with us. Uh, and to all the longtime listeners, we can't thank you guys enough. You've been awesome interacting with all of you over the course of this tournament on Twitter, on the YouTube comments, all that stuff. Oh, the, yeah. The live I, streams. I it's, been, it's been a joy, really. I have to say, we haven't done it yet, and I will put out a post, but people have been so kind. They, they say how much they enjoyed the, our coverage of the World Cup. Thank you. Thank you so much. We do it for you. That's true. That and is also true. ourselves, but but mostly for you. Uh, JJ, what a month. I can't believe it's over. What a month. Congrats to Argentina and all the Argentinian fans out there who are listening. Uh, you guys certainly deserve this. It's been a long time coming. Um, and now uh, for the first time since 86, Argentina are the holders of the World Cup trophy. What a tournament this was, JJ. Uh, it's been a joy to do it with you as well. Um, if I don't talk to you before, I'm sure we'll be texting, but have a great trip back to uh, the homeland. We'll Thank you. Touch. I'm looking forward to a little bit of a break Yeah, from uh, from you, really. Mm-hmm. Hey, my friend, this was, this was fun. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.